Hello to my wonderful family. And you are the family of God. And I love it. And today I want to continue teaching on the millennium and the reasons for the millennium. Very fascinating subject in the word of God. But let's pray. Let's ask the Lord right now to meet your need, to bless your life. You know, a lot of you write your beautiful prayer requests, and I see so many of you have such needs. And I just want to remind you, the Lord will answer your prayer. Wonderful Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for your promise, Lord. You said if two will agree, you'll do it. And now, Lord, we come into agreement that you'll meet that need in that life today. You'll answer that prayer in that life today in your most wonderful, holy, glorious name, Jesus. And God's people said, Amen, casting all your cares on him. He cares for you. All right, now let's go to Psalm 110 one more time. Psalm 110, verse 1. And yesterday I showed you why the millennium reign of Christ. Well, first of all, we know that the rapture must happen first. After the rapture, the church will return seven years later to earth. And yes, I believe in the rapture because God is not going to judge the righteous and the wicked at the same time. It's not his nature. Never forget what Abraham said to the Lord in Genesis 18. He said, will not the judge of the whole earth do right? Surely God will not judge the righteous with the wicked together. And he went down to 10 people. He said, if there'll be 10 in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God says, I won't do it for 10. So I cannot agree with anyone who says, that we the church will go through the tribulation because we cannot go through the tribulation because God has not appointed us to wrath. And anyone who disagrees with that just doesn't know the Bible properly, does not know the word of God clearly because you have to look at God's nature. And has God done it before? No. The answer is clearly no. He protected Israel in Egypt from the plagues he protected the saints continually from times of disasters. His people were always protected, always. God never judged the wicked and the righteous at the same time. So the righteous were always protected. So the rapture is a must, and then the church will return with the Lord and reign on the earth for a thousand years. Why? Here's what it says. The Lord, I'm reading verse 1, Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So the Lord will reign till all rebellion has been conquered. All enemies have been put down. And we see the same message again in 1 Corinthians 15, I want to talk a little more about that because there's so much in that beautiful portion, beginning at verse 24, and then I'm going to show you the conditions that will exist, which we began looking at yesterday. So, verse 24, 1 Corinthians 15, then comes the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. The end of what? The thousand-year reign. He'll deliver the kingdom to God, even to the Father, 
when he shall have put all rule and all authority and all power, conquered all rebellion. For he must reign a thousand years till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Remember, there's the one resurrection for the saints and one for the ungodly a thousand years later. And then death will be conquered, destroyed. It says in verse, 20, in verse 27, For he hath put all things under his feet, that is, the Father has put all things already under the feet of his Son. But when he says all things are put under him, it is manifest, or it is also evident, that he, the Father, is not under the Son. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, the Son, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, the Father, that hath put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So we see the whole reason here for the millennium. It's to put the enemies under the feet of the Son, and then the Son will deliver the kingdom back to God. But it's going to take a thousand years for that to happen. And now the Lord will return to earth. Nations will continue to live and exist. Remember, even though millions will die during the, the great tribulation, when the Lord returns, it says every eye, every eye, meaning people will be alive to see him, every eye shall see him. So those who are left alive will see him and will mourn as for their only son. There'll be a cry from humanity that Jesus is back. Many who did not believe now believe that he is the Lord of glory, the great I am. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess he's Lord, but humanity in their hearts will continue to be rebels. Now, Satan will be thrown into a pit, that's in Revelation 20, for a thousand years, and he will not deceive the nations anymore. Then he will be released from the pit to deceive the nations. So think about this. God is, is basically saying, okay, I want to prove to all of you humanity that you cannot follow my ways even though I will give you perfection and health and prosperity and beauty you've never known in your life. So the whole earth will be like the Garden of Eden. The whole earth will be perfect. Perfect conditions just like Adam had. And the Bible tells us, I showed you yesterday, there'll be amazing blessings, amazing knowledge, amazing peace and harmony, amazing glory, no sin, the part, the part of sin will not be in control of the planet. So there'll be no devils running around, tempting people, no devil running around, harassing the nations. And God will show them in this time of amazing abundance and beauty, you are still in your hearts against me. Because God will not send anyone to the lake of fire until he proves he is just in sending them there. So no one will say, well, God sent me to the lake of fire, yet I did not do anything wrong. Or blame the devil that uh, 
the devil made me who I was. Or such, you know, people are always blaming the devil or somebody else. Remember, when when Adam sinned, uh, he said it's the it's the wife you gave me, and she said it's the devil. So everybody's blaming somebody else. So there'd be no one to blame for a thousand years, because God will give them absolute perfection, just perfection. And it'll be a time of such prosperity, which we shared with you yesterday. But look at something else. You know, what does man look for today more than anything else? Long life. Everyone wants to live long. Nobody wants to die. Okay? So the Bible says in in Isaiah 65, verse 20, how God will give them long life. It says that a child will die a hundred years. Isaiah 65, verse 20. And even a sinner will die a hundred years. For a hundred years they're going to live. Life will be extended beyond anything we've ever known in this lifetime. And now the Bible says something amazing. Such amazing conditions that the sun will shine seven times brighter than today. Think about the amazing uh, fruitfulness of the earth, the amazing vegetation that that will cause. It says, moreover, Isaiah 30, 26, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, which means no night. And the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord binds up the breach of his people and heals the stroke of their wounds. Amazing. But my point is, humanity will not change Their hearts will not change, just like Israel's hearts did not change when they left Egypt. Imagine Israel saw such glory in the wilderness, yet they all wanted to go back to Egypt. Here is Israel, you know. Pharaoh wants to kill them. They're in deep bondage. They're crying out for deliverance. God sets them free, and three days, three days after they leave Egypt, they blame God They tell Moses, God wants to kill us. He brought us out to kill us. They accuse God of wanting to kill them. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. Just like Lot's wife, she had to look back. They turned back to Egypt. Because man in his heart is wicked. The Bible says the the heart of man is wicked, desperately wicked. We cannot trust our own hearts. And that's why the Lord in Jeremiah said, I'm going to give you a new heart. But please remember, that's a process. A new heart doesn't mean you're going to be perfect in one day. Because salvation is ongoing salvation. And I said it yesterday, I'll say it again. Even Paul the Apostle, who was saved on the road to Damascus, it took him 14 years before he came back to Jerusalem to show the change in his heart to the Apostles. So we all have got to work with God. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation is an ongoing work. So God gives you that heart, and then you work it out. Put off the old man. Then you have to put on the new man. But humanity during the millennium is going to rebel the whole time. God will give them a season, a thousand-year-long season, to see his love, his goodness, his beauty, to repent. But they won't. 
at the end when the devil is released to tempt them, they're going to follow the devil and come against God and the camp of the saints. Now think about something else that we've never seen in this lifetime. And that's when animals will also change. It says in Isaiah 30, look at verse, uh, verse 26, Isaiah 30, 26, and then Isaiah 11, 6 and 9. So Isaiah 30, 26 says, it's going to be incredible light, incredible beauty, no wounds, no problems whatsoever. But look then at Isaiah 11. In Isaiah 11, it talks about animals being restored because it says so in Romans that God will deliver the animal life or creation from the bondage that they're in now. It says, the wolf shall also dwell with the lamb. I'm reading verse 6, Isaiah 11. The leopard will lie down with the kid or the goat, the calf and the young lion together, the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. Can you imagine a little baby, a little child leading the wolf, the leopard, and the lion? And then it says, and the cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones will lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. A time of incredible beauty and peace, even animal life will prosper. And it says that the child shall play, or the nursing child, one who's still nursing, shall play on the hole of the asp or the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on what? Wow. In the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Like, this is amazing. A time of such perfection. There'll be no waste places on earth. There'll be no, no deserts, no slums, no poverty anywhere. Yet man will continue to rebel in their hearts and God will show them their heart is unrepentant and wicked and the Lord will reign to bring down all that rebellion in their hearts under his feet. Look what it says in Isaiah 61 verse 4. It says the whole earth will be rebuilt. No desolations of any kind, no slums, no destruction and they shall build the old wastes, Isaiah 61, 4. They shall raise up former desolations, no destruction. They shall repair waste cities. They'll repair the desolation of many generations, a time of unbelievable, unbelievable perfection. And now to the, to the church it says, and strangers will feed your flock. The sons of the alien will be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you will be named the priests of the Lord. Men will call you the ministers of our God. You will eat the riches of the Gentiles 
in their glory will you boast yourselves. And God is going to do something in Jerusalem that will, will, has never been seen, will be so glorious it's unbelievable. You look at Zechariah 14, verse 9. You talk about beauty, you precious people of God. Jerusalem will be the most beautiful place on the globe. And I'm talking about present-day Jerusalem. This is before the Lord creates a new heaven and a new earth. This is the thousand-year millennium reign when things will continue on this planet, but God will bring back the days of beauty like Eden, the Garden of Eden, that will be global. So it, it says here in Zechariah 14, verse 9, 11 it says on the Lord will be king over all the earth in that day shall there be one Lord his name is one all the land shall be turned like a plain from Geba to Rimon south of Jerusalem it shall be lifted up inhabited in our place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananel, unto the king's winepress. Then it says, and men will dwell in it. There will be no more utter destruction, but it will be safely inhabited. So it's talking about how Jerusalem will be rebuilt and rearranged into a place of amazing beauty. Years ago, I went to Switzerland, and I was standing, looking down at Lake Geneva, and I, I, I was so over, overwhelmed, I wept, looking at the Alps and the beauty of the world. And, and here I'm reading this to you today. Jerusalem and Israel will be, will be more beautiful than Switzerland. The beauty will be unbelievable. And think about no more deserts. No more deserts. The Mediterranean will be joined to the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea will be healed with a lot of fish in it. People will go fishing in the Dead Sea. The beauty will be beyond description in the Holy Land. Think about a living fountain flowing from Jerusalem with trees on both sides of the river, healing the nations. So people will go to Israel and eat fruit of the trees and be healed in their bodies. When did we sit? When did we see that before? But Israel will no longer be desert today. Two thirds of Israel is desert. It will be a fruitful field. I showed you from Isaiah yesterday how the desert will be a fruitful field, and the fruitful field will look like a a, a forest. God will rearrange the whole world and the land of Israel. And how about this? King David himself will reign from Jerusalem. The king of Israel, David, will come back to reign in Jerusalem. You know that's in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? Okay, let's look together at the book of Ezekiel. Go with me to the book of Ezekiel. Look at chapter 34. Isn't that amazing? And look at verse 24. Jesus will reign over the whole earth but he will put David over the nation of Israel. It says in verse 24, I, the Lord, will be their God, 
and my servant David a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Beautiful. Look at chapter 37, Ezekiel 37. I hope you're enjoying this because I am. And look at verse 24 here through 28 that talks about David also being the king of Israel. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. I'm reading Ezekiel 37, 24. They shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments, observe my statutes, and do them. They shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. They shall dwell therein, even they and their children, their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. How beautiful. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will place them and I will multiply them, set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle shall also be with them. Yea, I will be their God, they'll be my people. And the heathen will know I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary will be in the midst of them. So the whole world will see King David on the throne. Uh, Hosea talks about that too, by the way, chapter 3 and verse 4 and 5. God has promised this. It says, it says, for the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without an image, without an ephod, without a, a teraphim, but afterwards shall the children, meaning in the thousand-year reign, shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So those days are coming upon us, saints. And now the saints, meaning you, the church, will rule on the earth. Psalm 149, there's many, many scriptures on that. Think that God is training you today for rule and authority because we will reign upon the earth for a thousand years. It says, let the saints be joyful in glory. I'm reading verse 5, Psalm 149. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. A two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the heathen, punishment on the people, to bind their kings with chains, their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. And the Lord will reign over the entire earth. And that we find, of course, in Isaiah 11 and many scriptures in the Bible that the Lord, our wonderful Lord, Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Israel, will rule over the whole world. There shall come forth, I'm reading verse 1, a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. And the Bible says he will rule all over the world. With righteousness, he'll judge the poor, reprove the equity for the make of the earth, 
will smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips will he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And in Isaiah 40, I'm going to just give you a few more scriptures about this. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse, verse 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord will come with a strong hand. His arms shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs with his arms, carry them in his bosom, shall gently lead those that are with young. And then 42, 1 to 4, it talks about, again, the Lord will rule the earth. Hallelujah. Blessed be your name. And there's many scriptures. Revelation 27 to 15, Revelation 21, many scriptures. That the Lord will rule over all the earth and with the saints rule with him. What a day that will be, saints, when the Lord returns. And now it's time for preparation. Now, how do we prepare? Well, God Almighty tells us that all the trials we go through are preparation. Everything we go through on this in this life is for preparation. So it's time to prove ourselves faithful in this life. Let's not put our hand to the plow and look back. Then we'll not be fit to serve. If we are faithful today, he will reward us then. Remember the story of the talents? Because of faithfulness, they were given, those who came back with more talents were given more responsibility. So it's time now to prove ourselves faithful to him. A steward must be found faithful. So the little you do today on earth is not little in the sight of God. Look, I don't want to get to heaven and be dismissed from trust. Everything we do in this life, it's to gain God's trust by being faithful. Paul said that we might not be ashamed on that day. So this life is simply the test. How trustworthy are we going to be on that day? So this life is not just for nothing. We were born into this world to know the Lord. We were born into this world to prove ourselves worthy of trust to the Lord for the next life. So if we want to start living a life of maturity, let's begin living for the next life in this life. Let's begin living for the Next life in this life, in this life, looking above, setting our affections on things above, carrying our cross, dying to self and the world, and follow the Lord Jesus. If we suffer with him, we will reign with him. Hallelujah. Lord, bring your people to that place of trust. Trust us, Lord. Make us people you can trust. Say after me, dear Jesus, make me someone you will trust. Make me someone you can trust. We give you the praise.
that we be not dismissed, for you are able to keep us from falling and to present us before your throne blameless. We give you all the glory and honor. And God's people said, Amen and Amen. All right, it's time to give to the Lord's work. There's much to do for the Lord, the King of glory, yet in this life. I've made a decision that I want to spend the rest of my life strengthening the saints, preparing you for the coming of the Lord. Yes, I'll continue to preach the gospel and minister to the sick and the afflicted, but because God has called me to do that. But I want one additional responsibility on this earth, and, and God has granted it, that I will be there for you, to strengthen you, to help you, to prepare you for the coming of the Lord. Our time is running out so quickly, precious people of God. So quickly, precious saint of God. Let's prove ourselves faithful to him, even in our giving. Because every time we give, some of our selfishness dies. Every time we give, some of our greed dies. It says we are to flee, flee covetousness. The last commandment in the, in the Ten Commandments, don't covet. And that is idolatry, the Bible says. The Bible says flee from that idolatry. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And every time you give, that's what you're doing. You're seeking the kingdom, not this world. So when you give, you give a part of yourself away. A part of selfishness goes. A part of greed goes. And you're honoring the Lord with your substance. Because it says we honor him when we give. We're declaring our love when we give. So go ahead and do it now. You can give on the platform you're watching me on. You can go to our website, benihin.org. Or you can simply, simply text BHM45777. Do it today, and God will bless you. Now, don't forget to get my book, Mysteries of the Anointing. Everything I have learned about the anointing in 48 years is in this book. You can get it from everywhere books are sold. Much love to you. I'll see you tomorrow. A beautiful program tomorrow. Don't miss it.